morning, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this latest uh, edition of the Indic Book Club's Writers Open House with Otis. Uh, for those of you who have joined earlier, you know how it goes. For those who are joining for the first time, uh, what we do is uh, we invite uh, aspiring writers who are either looking to refine their craft of writing or reviewing uh, or are simply looking for some feedback from, uh, uh, you know, from an academic, a professional, and that would be Otis. So we invite you to send submissions uh, that are approximately 800 words in length, and uh, you send them in a word, uh, uh, in a PDF document uh, with certain uh, formatting guidelines, uh, Times New Roman uh, size 12, double spaced, and uh, give it a reasonably descriptive name to the file so that it's easier. And Otis then reviews it, marks up his feedback, sends it back to you via email. And then in these sessions, he uses those uh, pieces to not only walk through the feedback, but also share uh, general you know, uh, feedback and suggestions and uh, commentary on writing and how to uh, develop, hone, refine the craft of writing. We have also, for the last two or three weeks, we have been trying uh, reviews also. So, you know, an important part of writing is also learning how to write good, meaningful uh, reviews. Uh, and uh, we have also been asking people to send in the reviews uh, and people have been doing that. Uh, in particular, last week, we had a, uh, an interesting review that was submitted by Chitra. And there was some back and forth in, in trying to understand how to write a review that uh, you don't uh, you know, agree with the book, but how do you do that in a, in a reasonably objective manner? And uh, I, if I remember correctly, uh, Chitra had said that she, would, uh, she really wanted to get that right. So she would try and send a revised submission. And I'm not sure if that happened or not. But on that note, I will turn it uh, over to you, Otis. Uh, so do walk us through you know, how many uh, pieces you've got and uh, how many uh, uh, you know, writing and uh, review pieces. And I promise this time I'm going to hold you to a 15 to 20 minute limit for each. So over to you. Um, and I will promote people to uh, as panelists so that uh, we can see everyone. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of people who have joined in yet. I am hoping they will. I'll also put this up on Facebook so that uh, they can. And I'm going to go on mute and, and hide my camera for just a little bit. So over to you, Otis. OK, thank you. Um, um, Madhavi, I'm glad you're here. I actually had a question. I'm, I, we went so fast at the end of last time, and Ram, nice to see you also. Um, I think I know. Uh, Madhavi, do, did we do your piece last week? I was just reviewing the pieces that I have, and I, I just wasn't sure. We moved so fast towards the end. I think I, I imagined that I got through everyone. No, uh, last week I could not attend this session, so I I caught up on it on Facebook, uh, but uh, because I was not there, you could not do my piece. So it would be wonderful. Right, Ram, I know that, and you have that short you have that short piece. Uh, the, the play, the play extracts. Right, right. We have that. We'll, we're gonna we're gonna look at that. Awesome. Um, Thank you. First, um, I was just wondering if Madhavi, uh, let me, um, if. If we did your piece, the one that began, she sat in front of the mirror, numb to the core. Hello? You can hear me? Yeah, hi. 
Hi, yeah, hi, I can. Do, do uh, I about haven't sent anything uh, as yet. Uh, I had sent you one uh, maybe two or three weeks ago. So I haven't revised it yet. So I haven't gotten around to revise. Once oh. I do that, I'll send it to you again. Okay, so, and we did talk about it then. I was just going through my pieces and I, and I couldn't recollect um, whether we'd no, done no. it or not. But the last two sessions, I haven't sent any. Okay, so then I don't know how that got moved into, okay. That uh, is good. So I'm gonna do that. So we, we actually have a little bit of a late day. So maybe that will be good for everybody. <laughs> um, great, Ram, let's, uh, let's talk about your piece here. It was, it's been a little while since I've read it. So you might have to refresh my memory on it a little bit. Um, let me, I was just reviewing it before we started. And I think that I'm pulling it from the recesses of my mind. Um, share screen. Index share. Yeah, what, uh, Ram, can you tell us a little bit about this piece? And um, we might have we might have you read the first page, but maybe tell us a little bit about it first. I think we're getting scene three, so we we're sort of dropping right into the middle. Uh, Ram, you're Ram, you're muted. I'm sorry. Okay, so this is a play that I had written uh, on the episode of Ahalya, which appears in the Ramayana. So this is a story that is narrated in the Ramayana, and uh, even abridged versions of the Ramayana, which leave out all the side stories, they include the story of Ahalya. So that is sort of like the importance of the Ahalya story in the Ramayana. Uh, so it, the Ahalya story basically is about this extremely beautiful woman who is married to a sage and uh, and then she has an extramarital affair. Uh, so the sage finds out about it and then he curses both Ahalya and her paramour. Uh, and then he also pronounces the redemption of the curse, which is essentially when she comes in contact with the Rama, she will get redeemed. Uh, so this is the very broad story. But I find the story very interesting because when we look at the Valmiki Ramayana, in that uh, Indra, with whom Indra is the lord of the gods and uh, Ahalya has an affair with him, he comes disguised as Ahalya's husband. Ahalya recognizes who he is, his true identity she recognizes, yet she chooses to go ahead and have the affair. So it is an act of free will and free choice on her part. And then all the curse and all that happens. Uh, so, but as we look at the later tellings of the Ramayana story, uh, Ahalya does not in the later in the later tellings of the Ramayana, Ahalya is deceived by Indra into believing he is her husband. And then she sleeps with him. And when the sage comes to know of it, he still curses both of them. And in Wait, he does what to both? What, what, what does he do to both of them? I'm sorry, I'm not following that one. Yeah, so, so in later tellings, Ahalya does not know that it is not her husband who has come. Because Indra okay. comes disguised as her husband. She thinks it is her husband and she sleeps with him. And uh, her real husband, when he comes there, he is infuriated. And though it was not uh, Ahalya's mistake in the later retellings, he still curses Ahalya. 
and uh-huh. okay. and in much later tellings in much later tellings uh, there is one very small episode i think in the uttarakhanda uh, where indra actually forces himself upon ahalya but still ahalya is cursed so for me the story of ahalya is something that shows how this societal thought towards women and uh, the the way women were treated in society evolved over the ages so that's a fascinating evolution so i have always been very fascinated with the ahalya story and uh, uh, she is the wife of a sage and she has been following dharma the righteous way of living yet she chose to have an affair with uh, uh, indra and uh, then she was a curse was pronounced on her and then a redemption for the curse also was given so it it was a very fascinating story for me and i wanted to explore that through this play that's like a little bit of not so brief background yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that uh, that that's that's great um i i really i like what you're saying about how the sort of the there's a kind of a cultural shift there um i mean you know one you could term it as a kind of uh i don't know it's sort of misog you know almost a developing misogynist slant you know as she becomes more and more vilified you know regardless of what she does you know she's just basically cursed yeah. you know so it's kind of like no matter what yeah. um it's uh Oh, it's interesting. So how, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I tend to be really fascinated with that because, of course, you know, writing a story, it's a little bit like that game, you know, the kids play telephone where they whisper something into each other's ear and then they go around the circle like that and yes, it ends yeah. up completely different at the end. Chinese well, whispers, yeah. Yeah. So uh, stories are a little bit like that, right? So, you know, you read the story, and, you know, someone hears the story and then they interpret it for themselves. And each time it changes a little bit depending on their disposition. Absolutely. And it moves that way through the culture too over yeah. over time. Um, I think it's really interesting. I just have maybe a question like uh, how, how do you intend to sort of capture that uh, evolution of the story through the play. Uh, are you are you are you are you sort of digging down deeper into the play to be like maybe so to get I to a, a foundational level that's like right. below any of the stories? Also, I have actually completed writing this play. This is a play that I originally wrote in uh, my original language in Kannada. And then I translated it into English because a lot of friends wanted to read it. So I translated this. So this is not the original. There might be some things lost in translation. So I translated my own play. Uh, so this is the translated version. I have completed the play. So in the play, I, I was attempting to look at two, three things. Uh, so I have not shied away from the fact that Ahalya, the heroine of the story, she makes a conscious choice to have an affair outside of marriage. She makes a very conscious choice. Uh, so I have not gone too much into the motivations or the reasons of that, but what happens in the aftermath of that, right? She is very devoted to her husband. And uh, so I have tried to explore the dichotomy between uh, uh, 
the spirit, if you may call, there is no equivalent word in English that I can find. In Hindi, we say man, uh, which is basically your mind or your spirit or your soul and the physical manifestation of the body. Uh, I have tried to explore that at one angle. And the second thing that I have also tried to explore is uh, in even in the original Valmiki Ramayana, at the, after the redemption of the curse, Gautama and his wife Ahalya, they are united. Which means there must have been something that happened because of which the redemption itself was prescribed. And she went through that process of redemption. Basically, uh, in the story, in the original story, she is supposed to be doing penance for thousands of years, subsisting only on air. So that, so that is that is the redemption of her curse. And then, when that happens, when Rama comes by, she is completely purified. But the interesting thing is the words in which Valmiki describes her when Rama first sees her. So when Rama, Rama himself, who is God, when he sees her. She is described as a blazing pillar of light that cannot be seen by the naked eye. So if she was a woman who was of loose morals, then she would not be described like that. And the first word that Rama utters when he sees her is he says mother. So he pays her the respect he would do to his own mother. So which means there had to have been something in the character and the behavior of Ahalya because of which she was accorded that respect. So I wanted to explore those aspects and on the basis of the material that is available in the uh, epic, I uh, tried to imagine a little bit of that and uh, I wrote this play. Okay. Uh, can I ask, is she, uh, is she initially a, like a real person or is she a symbolic person? In the, in the epic, she is a real person. In the epic, she is a real person. But I believe that this story is narrated in the Ramayana, and uh, uh, the story is narrated as symbolic of certain deeper meanings. That is what I really believe, and that's what I've tried to explore in the play. Right. I mean, you know, some of what you're saying in terms of the, you know, the beautification and 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 even the story itself. Like, I mean, I think stories, of course, work always on both levels. Right. They they touch down on something that's concrete, but they also speak to something that's abstract, and that in fact is their intention. Absolutely. Um, and it, it it can sound almost like an origin story, uh, you know. It sounds like some other origin stories too, you know, sort of a mm -hmm. meeting of the the earth goddess and and the the the, the animation of life and and right. and things like that. Um, right. I. And I, and I also tend to I tend to be pretty fascinated with how there are elements, of course, in in many cultural stories that have similarities and they seem to echo each other. Yes, they become more individuated, you know, in, in different geographic locations, but they still have, um, you know, they, they they have these thematic threads that right. that because. Because all I do is deal with stories, I can kind of hear them, sort of, you know, almost. I don't want to say tropes can sound like a bad word, but but uh, you know, like literary tropes. Um, right. I always also I also get fascinated with, you know, what. Of course, we have these stories, you know, uh, you know that that sort of describe the natural world, and I think they often have a lot of psychological insight as as we know, uh, you know, Freud, Freud draws upon the, the story of Oedipus to have his Oedipus complex. 
and uh, and and you know just you know just many others. Um, I uh, I'm interested in this story. You know what what you're telling me. Of course, you know if you have a, a woman who has you know the the disguised character that also comes up a lot in many right. in many epics. And I it, as you're talking about it, it can make me think about what it means. Uh, you know even or what it means psychologically or what it means between you know actual people uh, it's just uh, I think it's I, I think it sounds really neat well I, I remember this piece um, here in scene three is, is this the is this towards the end or where, where no, are we this at is, in terms uh, this of this is right in the middle so the way I constructed the structure of the play is that in the first scene the protagonists don't appear so in that sense i have gone back to the ancient play traditions of india where in the opening scene it is uh, uh, two minor characters who come and give the context and the setting to what we are going to see in the play so that's what happens in the first scene and in the second scene uh, gautama is uh, in deep penance and uh, it is only Ahalya, who is uh, who, who we hear, she is speaking to herself, and uh, there she shows her devotion to her husband, and also she the confusion in her mind and the fear in her mind about what she should do, what is right, what is wrong. So that sort of sets a little bit of a foundation. And in scene three, uh, I put a small situation where Gautama and Ahalya are interacting. Uh, the expectation or the objective that I had in scene three was to bring out the interpersonal relation that was there between husband and wife what kind of a person was yeah. Gautama what was his focus in life and uh, how was Ahalya responding to that so that was largely my uh, objective in scene three yeah okay I so you know I I think you did a nice job in this piece you know when I read it I felt like I was really understand you know that I think the first thing that I look for is really seeing individuated characters Right. who are then interacting in some way once they're individuated right and they each have their own personality and they each are driven by their own really I think the more we can figure out what they're what they're driven to do the better and you know we don't want to just use them as sort of puppets that we're manipulating in order to make our meaning that's right. not that's not the point of our work we right. want to try and have living characters who are motivated by their own, thing and 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 I think that uh, if you see where I'm sharing here uh, Ahalya here he's taking the holy water himself I was right in placing the pot of holy water next to him but but he didn't call for me not even once did he even realize that it was I who placed the water there and and I think that that actually captures her you know pretty well she doesn't seem seen um, she is she's doing things but I mean it, it's actually quite quite a good little self-talk, I think, and, and psychologically profound. She, like everyone, wants to feel good about herself, and basically she has to do that for herself, right? right? I mean, if we get into this sort of psychological aspects, you know, we have, you know, we can talk about neurochemicals and serotonin and all of that, but basically we have to feel good about what we do. We don't want to be depressed because if we're depressed, we feel like we're we're headed towards a, a personal extinction, so she's not really seen or known. And I think that that this one line here, um, this one line, uh, was, uh, I can't mark. Um, 
really sets up everything that comes, I think, in terms of really nailing her character. So I think that that's great. I didn't know here if you, she walks deliberately making sure her ankles, even because I'm imagining it take place on the stage, I didn't know if that might even be a little bit comic, you know, um, that she's really making a lot of noise, you know, really, really, pushing, really pushing the limits about whether her husband is going to notice that she exists or not. Right, absolutely. Um, That's precisely what she's trying to do because so far she has not noticed. So she's trying to get noticed. She's not trying to come in front of him, but she's trying to get noticed. Yeah, and so and and so and then as it goes on. What, what I like about that, that characterization, is it basically gives subtext. So this is something we want to do in all of our work, too. It gives subtext to everything else that happens. Because we have this sense of interiority of character, then what she did, you know, then he says, um, Ah, you are here, aren't you? The evening penance have been fulfilled. I will be conducting the, the yagya um, all night to appease the gods. Have all preparations been made? You know, uh, they have my Lord. So once she, so there she's just saying, I have my Lord, which could be very flat, right? She could be a cardboard cutout. But because we know her interiority, we also understand that she's deeply dissatisfied with the way she exists in this world of his. Yes. Um, where she's not actually seen. And and in, the, in that sense, too, as husband and wife, and this is... I don't want to get too too far out there, but like they're not really joined. I mean, in some ways, they're not really husband and wife in, in terms of uh, some kind of spiritual connection. They're just uh, tied by a kind of conventionality, and it sounds like that might also that might also be a piece of the affair. Which sounds like you know when when you have yes. when you have an affair when you have that kind of. Uh, we can think of it as a sexual union or just union with the, with a god. That's a that's a different kind of union. You know, it's not this it's not this contractual union. That is a deep spiritual union, right? Um, and so I think that that might be offering an interesting contrast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm enjoying it right now. I I don't know if it you know. It, I think you make this point maybe for from a modern standard you might be making this this point is made um, for too long a period of time so I don't know how the whole play is you know like how much time it takes up how many pages you have how quickly it's gonna move through but a play is quite slow moving it's not as quick as it takes me to read it of course because everyone has to act out every single line in a sense Right, and and you might be hitting the same note a little bit too much. So, you know, again, by the modern standard, you might have to hurry it up a little bit. Um, but, but I think you have the characters on the page, and so I'm interested in what's going to happen. Um, okay. And when you, you know, if, and if you're talking, you know, like when I go into the into the the, the tropes, right, and think about, you know, the, a kind of grander. And true union, you know, uh, of you know, if it's Earth Goddess and 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 Sky God, or it's like a what I, I often go to. Um, where's my friend? Do you know Do you know Martin Buber? Um, he was a, a Jewish uh, philosopher in the 1920s. 
Um, well, he wrote a book called I and Thou. Okay, so so when I think about relationships, I think about he basically his his proposal was that he saw kind of two different kinds of relationships in the world. One which was an I and it, which basically means it doesn't matter whether that it is positive or negative. It's basically like you're you're an individual, you're a full human being, you know, a complete spiritual entity. And you see another another person, they're basically a problem. They're an object that you either succeed with or you fail with. But they're a problem. They're not a they're not a full human being. And we know this kind of story. The way he 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 famously said, all life is encounter. And I kind of go by that a little bit. It's like, it's not, it's not a bunch of static things. It's this encounter between human beings that is most important. And he thought that people should have relationships that were I and thou is how he expressed it. So this I and thou relationship, it's a little bit like, a little bit like the, the, the Indian philosophy of namaste, you know, my, mm. as I understand it, so you can correct me if you want, but as I understand it, the Americanized version of it is, you know, my highest spiritual power acknowledges your high spiritual power, Thanks. you know, so that's like I am thou, okay. right? And, and, and so, so I can see, for me, I guess I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying, I, I, I don't know where you are with this story, but I'm encouraging you a little bit to say, you know, to think about these characters on the page, you know, characters on the stage, not, not be too, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to express it, don't, don't feel too locked into the stories, you know, feeling like you have to represent those stories, you also have to be true to human beings, because that's what you're finally going to have on the stage too. So you're, you're shouting that loud and clear, right? We have real human beings, and now we can start to dig into these relationships. You know, and, and we see the relationship here between the sage and his wife seems to be an I and it relationship, mm -hmm. where she's not recognized as, she's not recognized, as you say, as that beautified beam of light, which, of course, not only is she, but every human being is. Yeah. So it's a... I, I, I like it. So I enjoyed this. I, 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 uh, I enjoyed the reading here. I felt I was with these characters. That's what I'm looking for. So uh, Thank you very much. Nice this was part. very useful feedback, uh, particularly particularly on the fact that I like this I and it and I and the. I'm going to look up this book. Uh, so the uh, philosopher's name you said is Martin Bieber. Uh, Buber, yeah, B-U-B-E-R. Okay, Martin Buber. I will definitely look up this book. And uh, but, yeah. Rob, what... What I think is so interesting about it, for me, I, so I'm I'm not Jewish and I'm not really even much of a philosopher, but mm. but the but what he ends up talking about, mm. um, for me, it was a way to sort of gain insight in, into the fact that many people have talked about this, right. right? Many people have talked about sort of like the, this nature of an I-it relationship. And, and many people have talked about and aspired towards this other kind of relationship called the, the, that he's calling the I-Thou relationship. Mm -hmm. So once I understood that, I realized that Martin Buber is only one of many. He was considered a mystic, right? But many people who are considered mystics are in many cultures. Right. You know, uh, you know, they in a way it's a it, it's a way to say that they're lacking. You know, the I-Thou relationship lacks a boundary in a sense. It's really a merger, right? Mm -hmm. And that, and that sounds a little, 
It sounds a little bit like uh, Ahalya and uh, and Indra, I think you said. You know, that, that also sounds like a merger, right? And that's, it's funny that it's a distinction that we can recognize in our relationships. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. Uh, it sounds great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so that was, uh, let's see, I, I think, um, is it possible that we're basically caught up? I have two pieces this week. Is it, it does someone feel, uh, uh, Surella and, uh, Rashma and then, so, um, Surella, can, can we talk about, uh, your, uh, your article? Yes, uh, sure. Okay. Um, uh, can you see me? No. Uh, can you? Oh, yeah, I can't see you. I can't your see camera you. seems to be. Okay. Your camera is out. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, um, okay. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about this article and who you're writing it for. So uh, this is for an e magazine. I can't see myself. I'm happy that you can see me. So this is for an e magazine called Hashtag India Magazine, and I have interviewed. I had interviewed this person quite a long time back. And he's a very young guy who has started this um, foundation called Cyber Jagriti, which uh, takes care of the cyber security of communities, families, and you know, corporate organization and education institution. So I was, I, I wanted to know like this kind of article I write pretty often, but I don't know how to make it very interesting, you know, because it's very, very factual and very detailed. But uh, I don't, I, I don't know how to introduce a bit of humor. A bit of you know uh, making it very interesting and gripping for people to read it. Um, okay, um, so let me ask. Um, you said that you did an interview with this. So this um, yes. we have um, Rupesh uh, Mittal um, started yes. Cyber Jagriti. Jagriti. Yes. <laughs> Jagriti. Um, uh, thank you for all for your understanding about my pronunciations. I, I really appreciate you mm. <laughs> uh, not making me too self-conscious. Um, so, um, so you've already done an interview, and yes. you have that written out where you had questions and then you had answers. So you're right. So the the interview style is pretty involving. So so the question is, did you already printed that interview, perhaps? No. Oh, no, this is just a, no, I have a draft of the interview, an email interview, and just fleshing out, I'm writing a feature article based on that interview. Oh, <clears throat> okay, so, so there's a, there's a couple different ways to, to do this, and I actually, I actually meant uh, to bring this up last time because we've talked a lot about reviews, so the, in, actually having an interview is quite an effective way to present information. If you want to highlight somebody's work, you basically become uh, a, a questioner. You know, it's just like a talk show or something like that. You're a person who's expressing interest in their work, and, and they have the ability to then talk about their work. And that's a way to sort of frame something. And, and that's really advantageous to authors. Okay. It's advantageous to this person who has a business.
And it's also basically interesting. So we know that, so that if we just think about interview, quite honestly, uh, I'm trying to think like a, a great deal of the TV news that we see. And certainly if you, I don't know if you have like talk shows at night and things like that, where actors come out or authors come out and stuff, and then someone interviews them, but it's a really great form. So, so I would, if you're thinking about, so let me put it this way. In, in terms of this piece, my, my reaction to it is that it's not organized. So that was just, you know, there's just a lot of different information. It's, it isn't deciding what it wants to do. And basically what we have to do as writers is we have to make a decision about what we're doing and how we're presenting information. Okay. And we might say, mm -hmm. okay, so this is not perfect. This is off the top of my head a little bit. But there's basically, let's say, three ways to present information. Okay. Uh, one of them is narrative. One of them is narrative. So in a narrative, basically what we're going to do is we're going to move from one, one thing. Narrative is just that organizational platform basically means a series of events. And for us as writers, what it means is a series of reading events. That's it. So that means paragraph one, paragraph two, paragraph three, paragraph four, paragraph five. And so we start at A, and you'll just bear with me and keep just take it all in first because I might be addressing some of the questions you have in a minute. So in this case, you start with A, you start with an inciting incident, basically. You start with something that grabs the reader, and you basically just go in a linear line through these chunks of information. But I want to say, so the difference between that and what you're writing now is you're writing basically a linear, a linear line with sentences. So that's like this. Sentence, 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 sentence. There's, so that is too, that, that doesn't have enough form for me to figure out what the logical argumentation is in the piece. What we actually want to do is, yes, we do have sentence by sentence, and each of those are ideas, but what we do is we do this thing, and I've said it before, we make the paragraph the unit of composition. That was said by Strunk and White in, in basically the writer's Bible, in the United States anyway, which is called the Elements of Style. If, you, if you're writing exposition, okay. you should definitely read the Elements of Style. Okay. But anyway, so, but, or forget it, you know, it takes a long time. But just then, just listen to me. <laughs> um, the uh, paragraph, the unit of composition. What that means is that so sentences go by too quickly. We need to have an experience. Human beings need an experience for a slight duration of time, and that's why we have a paragraph: the first paragraph, the second one, the third one, and we basically make a a logical argumentation from A to B, going touching down on each of those paragraphs. And those paragraphs are basically the narrative sequence. So okay. you could, so I'm just saying that that's one way to decide to do it. The second way that we write is called basic, I'm not sure, I've heard this called a multi-layered document, but I, I don't know, I, I'm not sure. Okay. But this way, in, in this style, 
we basically write a summary and we actually expand the summary in various okay. ways. So like we have a title that that is a summary of the entire piece that we want to say. Then we have an abstract or an introduction that is a summary of everything that's going to be in the body. And then we have the body take that basically develops each of the elements of the introduction. So so basically what it means is that we get actually the same information in a continuously expanding form. We have the title. We completely understand everything you want to say from the title. It's a summary of the entire piece. If I only read the title, I already understand what you've said. Or then we go to the, the introduction, which is an expansion of the title. Then we go to the body of the piece, which is an expansion of the introduction. And then we arrive at the conclusion, which is basically a, a kind of reiteration of the title. What this means, we usually use this form when we're dealing with something that's quite abstract because human beings right. are able, we're able to understand um, concrete information quite well, like other people did this, you know, the facts of concrete information. But we're less good at understanding abstract notions because we don't have anything to ground them on. So we use the multi-layered document to basically re-emphasize the same idea over and over again with greater levels of detail. So that's the second way. And then the third way, I, I'm going to suggest, there's probably people can say, Otis, what about this way? And I'm sure there are. But I'm just going to say three. The, the third way is the interview. The interview is basically a dialectic and the dialectic goes way back. I mean, we have dialectical, um, we have we have Plato's dialogues. Um, we have you know these ancient. Um, right. It basically the dialogue. The dialogue, in a sense, is a kind of um, it's a kind of uh, protagonist and antagonist relationship, and we actually use the relationship of protagonist and antagonist in all of our work. So all of our work will incorporate it to some degree, but a dialogue and an interview actually already has that dynamic too. It has the dynamic action of a questioner and someone who's answering. And then this person questions and then this person answers. And the idea in a dialogue is it goes back and forth and it gets deeper into the issues. So those are kind of the three, those are kind of the three choices and here, I don't, I don't feel which choice you've made. And so that's really the first thing that you have to do. Without it being organized... Actually, I had, then, a, I had a confusion in my head also. I had a confusion going in my head because I asked so many questions. And he gave yeah. so many different kind of answers that I am still... Well, I'm going to ask my editor which, which is the right way to do it, actually. Because, in a sense, uh, what does she want from me? So I think so that will also help me out a bit, you know, to simplify things. I've been getting in touch with the editor as well. But I think yeah. so, overall, I, I really understand what you are trying to say here. I was playing... Right. Trying to watch Netflix again and get some inspiration from there, from this mafia gangs I mentioned in the story, in this interview. So these mafia gangs are going very strong in India and I, and I think over the world now. So I wanted to mention that those mafia gangs like Jamtara and many other places. There are many Netflix shows yeah. on there. So let me see. And uh, 
overall um i um i wanted to know like uh, the, all the comments you have made so i will follow them in my writing henceforth because many of my interviews right. are I was just gonna, I was just gonna say you know I mean thank you for thank you for saying that thank you for saying that you were confused about it this is exactly the issue you know um, and, and and wonderful that you admit that because we are I mean this is this is the thing that writers are doing basically writers are using language to organize things that's what we're doing in order to achieve clarity there's two Remember, remember, I had the two the two poles that I believe, okay, that we have to avoid. We 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 can make the reader feel a lot of different things, but the two things we never want to make our reader feel are confusion or boredom. We do not want either of those two things. So basically, what we do is we organize things so that they're organized and clear, but still exciting, right? We can't have all these individual sentences just going like this because I'm confused. I'm reading this idea, this idea, this idea, this idea. It's too much for me to hold in my, my little brain, basically. Or we just write the same idea over and over again, and that's, and that's too boring. I feel like, well, I better at least do my dishes. So we want to get something in the middle that's, that's both clear but still interesting. And when I, when I say still interesting, I'm going to emphasize this relationship of protagonism and antagonism. So there's a conflict, but it's an easily understood conflict. Um, we, this is, uh, we're going to talk about Rashma's uh, play again. And so this was part of the issue from last week. When we had, when we just multiplied the characters, we have what we sometimes call too many moving parts, right? So when, when we have too many moving parts, the reader is suddenly confused. And uh, she had a great answer for how to deal with that. So we want to have the dynamic. We need to have dynamics. The thing that makes our work interesting is dynamics. And I'm going to go, I don't want to try and gather everything together, but when we talk about Martin Buber talking about I and thou, when we talk about, you know, this, you know, the, as he said, all life is encounter. So encounter between different forces, this is interesting to us. That's exciting. There's energy between those two things. And for us as writers, we can just call those protagonism and antagonism. But they have to be also, they have to be equals. They cannot be one is a god and the other is a mortal. It's really a meeting of gods, you know, to create a dynamic uh, interplay. Right. Um, right. So it's it's just a question of deciding what you want to do. But but what I wanted to suggest to you is that you already have the work basically done. If you've conducted an interview, then it's just a right. question of actually making that interview do what I was talking about. That's a dialectic, right? And it's going from here to here to here to here. And you want it to move through and uh, develop into something. If you want an example of an interview, I wrote an interview for an online magazine called The Rumpus, and it was on uh, Sam Green, who was a director who, um, uh, he made a movie about the weather underground, which was a kind of radical 
left organization in the United States in the 1970s. Um, okay. I recently did I recently did an interview of an author named Leslie Tenorio for the Chicago Review of Books. But okay. those are examples of interviews. And basically what you want to do is you want to have a little introduction. Um, you might say, if you interviewed him a while ago, you can say, back in blah, 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 I interviewed so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, he okay. was beginning, uh, you know, beginning his work on cybersecurity, which has become um, uh, not only an issue throughout India, but internationally. Um, okay. And then you just, then you can present the interview. Or okay. you can try, or you can try and create a, um, we're kind of going backwards now, but you can try and create that sort of multi-layered document where you have a title, where you're basically presenting a thesis, um, and then you expand that thesis. I don't think that's exactly what you're doing. And, and then the other form is to write it as a narrative. <clears throat> so you have those three choices. And the thing is, when I was interviewing him, I was putting, yeah, yeah, sorry, 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 cut to short, sorry. No, go ahead, Sarah. No, no, you're saying something, I cut it too short, please, please tell me. Oh, uh, um, I was, I was saying that, that actually, so like all, all three of these, even though I'm saying that there's sort of different ways to organize, and I'm saying that there's these three, they are all kind of similar too. They basically take the reader through a series of experiences. This is this is the way writing is. Writing is this linear activity, and so it does take us through a sequence. What's the first sequence going to be? What's the thing that you have to start with? And in writing, we can say, what's the beginning? What do you need to do? What's the middle? Right. And what's the ending? You just take us through it nice and logically, and I'll go back to where I started, which is use paragraphs. One paragraph about one thing. If you do that, then even if you don't have the paragraphs in the right order, you can move them. Right now, okay. you have all these sentences. You have all these sentences, and yes, you did to have a paragraph, but it's more like you had a paragraph because of the size, how many sentences you had, not because you were trying to unify an idea. So you could, if you wanted to, you can take all those sentences right. out and then rejumble them into paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. And then you can see what you have. That's another another possibility for for your rewrite. Okay, sure. And actually, um, when when I was interviewing him, I was I questioned him regarding his work, how he won the award, what the award meant for him, and then I went into uh, different questions on cybersecurity, how to prevent cyber kidnapping, etc., etc., etc. So uh, do you suggest I put all the information together because, or I can split it to two uh, articles. I'm just thinking of those, I mean, all this, those considerations as well. So I, I, I would, I, I would definitely, completely, this article, yes. I would definitely, I would definitely look at the interview. So interviews are really, they're amazing things. They're already dynamic. It's, Rather than using the interview as, as a kind of research to write your work, I would try and preserve the interview because it already has a form that we like, which is okay. you asking questions and then this expert answering. So we already like that form. It's, it's actually better than you taking that information, using him as like a source material, and then writing another essay. That's, I wouldn't do yeah. that because you're, you, 
you did the legwork. You did the legwork of actually conducting an interview. So that, that is basically gold. Right. I, would, I would just let that come out. He's an expert in his field. Okay. You're asking questions. Right. What what is wrong with that, right? Okay. All, all you have to I all don't... you need to do is contextualize it for us. Contextualize it for us with a short sentence or two, and then write something at the end. Or usually at the end, when I if I do an interview, my ending is thank you, or or maybe I try to you know have something that's a little bit funny and uplifting at the end. But basically, the interview works. Take a look. If you want, take a look at my interview with Leslie Tenorio or, yes, or, yes, or my interview. Please share it with us. Um, you can, uh, if you just go Otis Hashemeyer, um, and then, let's see, I will, um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll send you that. I'll, I'll send someone something about how you spell Leslie Tenorio. And then the other one was Sam Green in the rumpus. So um, just yes, a, looking forward to it already. Yes, please do. I, I get an idea of doing the right way. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, I okay. had a question uh, as well. I, I have sure. one, this one short question as well. Uh, when I'm putting heading for any of these kind of feature stories or interviews, and give us some head, uh, tips for uh, writing a good headline or title on the, on the top. I give three to four options generally for the editor. But if you can give me some heading ideas, which heading ideas should be the best? And what are the criteria to choose headings? I do fall short on words sometimes. Um, well, um... You probably have a choice. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have something 100% specific to say. But if you're, again, it depends on what form you're writing. If you're writing the form where it's an abstract idea, this multi-layered document, you want that title to be like a summary of what you're, of what you're going to be dealing with in the essay. You're not trying, in in the case when you're writing an, when you're writing an article like that. You're not trying to get readers who are not interested. You are trying to get people who are interested or who could be made to be interested. So you basically, you know, you, you can present a summary. You know, um, you know, cyber cybersecurity, um, our modern crisis. That might be a title. The other possibility okay. is you write something that has some kind of metaphorical content that has some kind of uh, subtext. That's usually reserved for something that's narrative. Yeah. Um, um, I I can't come up with an example right offhand about um, cybersecurity, but um, okay. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm but you. In general, in general, if you have any ideas, any criteria in mind for heading, or like, which is a little different from a feature story and for interview and for. Maybe taking up it later once uh, all this uh, thing is over. So I was thinking if we have any uh, in general, not for this article, but in general, how to choose the perfect heading? Because as journalists or writers, we often fall short of words uh, to give a perfect heading to our stories. Well, I see that you're you, right now. What you have is maybe sort of capturing your mindset, but I, you know, you have kind of three titles, and of course that's confusing. 
So you have, you have to make these decisions ahead of time. But I think awakening a cyber consciousness is not bad. And that seems to be the center of what you're talking about. Um, so I, I mean, I think that that's a pretty good title, actually. Awakening, I wouldn't say the, I would say awakening a cyber, awakening a cyber consciousness, because that seems to be at the heart of what um, this, this developer is talking about. And, and then I would think about that. Right. Yeah, so I think that that's a good start. And the, I want to, I just want to point out a little, a little, a little difference between the, what I'm calling the multi-layered versus the narrative. So in the narrative, we start someplace and we go like a, like we go like a bat out of hell to the ending where the ending is where we're going to get really um, the information. What we're counting on then is keeping the reader throughout that entire process. Right. <clears throat> so if you write it that way, you're going to arrive at this idea of awakening a, cyber, uh, awakening a cyber consciousness at the end. But in the multi-layered document, you don't do that. You don't hide anything ever. You have everything up front. You're just expanding it. So that way, someone can read the title and be satisfied. They can read the introduction. They can be satisfied. They can read the body of the work, etc. And that, that style holds for articles and it also holds for entire books. So you can have entire books that are built off of that same platform, or you can have books that are narrative. And in general, that multi-layered style is a nonfiction style. Um, and okay. the narrative style is like fiction or memoir or something like that. That's where you start with A and you go to B. And you're okay. basically counting on keeping the reader through the whole thing. That's actually the distinction kind of between many forms of nonfiction. Yes, memoir is a form of nonfiction, but it's a it's basically a narrative form. That's the difference between nonfiction mm -hmm. topic books and narrative works. Those two basic mm -hmm. styles. Okay, I better uh, move on to um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, that is Okay, Rashma, I think we're talking about your work. Yes. So yeah, tell tell us a little bit about what you um, what you did. Okay, uh, I realized that I've uh, had this innate desire to bring George and Martha in my play, and that was what brought two additional characters who were not required. So I just took them off and <laughs> you know, and just made it simpler. And then we use a split scene, as you suggested, and I merged two scenes, and we had a split scene which uh, is cutting down now five minutes of the play. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it, you know, it, it brings up a couple things. Um, um, so uh, just so everyone can follow, we have this sort of um, the the marriage. The marriage algorithm. I don't, I'm not sure what your title is, but but that's not that's maybe not a bad title. <laughs> the marriage algorithm. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that you're getting a lot of economy, and you're also it's developing. So when you think about it, 
like this, visually, we're getting these things that we're talking about in, with Sorella's work, with all of our work. You know, we're creating actually a relationship. I don't want to lean on this too heavily, but we're creating a relationship on the page. Now we have, you know, the, the, the family who has the algorithm are sort of on one side, and they might have the light on them at some point, and then it fades from them, it goes to their side. But we basically get to juxtapose the two, you know, a protagonist force and an antagonistic force. And, and that juxtaposition, juxtaposition of these forces is really the majority of what we're doing. That's dramatization. So whether it's two characters being juxtaposed, right, thrown into a lifeboat, as we say, framed, or two ideas, I think Madonna is the best musician in the world, you don't, right? Whatever it is we're doing, we're basically, we're basically creating a frame around two opposing forces, and that creates dynamic, and that creates the drama that we're looking for. And that's basically what you've done. Now, what, what's, what's interesting, this is, okay, this is a real, this is a, uh, this is a big thing. Okay, what we're talking about is not complicated. It just isn't. But you will, you, this, is, this is unbelievable to me that readers never notice this. They never say, wait a second, this was, there was too much dynamics here. Uh, there was, you know, it was too exciting. They never say that. They never say, oh, how could it be that there's someone who wants this thing, but someone else wants the opposite? This person wants to save the world is suddenly with this person who wants to destroy the world. How coincidental is that? No one ever says that. We just enjoy it because we enjoy the story. We enjoy this situation where we're able to see something that's difficult, right? When you have your two, your two groups here and we see one and then we see the other like that. Um, everyone in the audience is going, ooh, this is awkward, <laughs> you know, this is uncomfortable, that we should get this insight and then we should see them, that we should know both. It makes me feel, you know, kind of awkward and weird, but I'm just watching and I love that, you know, like I love being the audience for that. I would not like to be in that situation, but I love watching the, that situation. So, it, it seems like you feel pretty pretty good about what what you accomplished. By it's it's also very hard, right? Like yeah, and it helps. I mean, uh, yeah, because <clears throat> we have this thing about wanting to write about when I bring in characters, then they just bring in their own stories, and you have to pull back those characters who's becoming too forceful and cluttering the story. So. I, needed your insight into, you know, telling me the cudgel from Otis. The t <laughs> yeah, it's, we, you know, I've done a lot of writing workshops and there's a famous saying, I don't even know who said it, but they said in writing, you have to murder your darlings. Yeah, and, kill your darlings. And it's just like, yeah, kill your darlings. And there's just a lot of ways to think about that, but it's like, oh yeah, I love this doddering old character who walks in and talks about hawks. I love him so much, but it's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, because 
because we make these characters, right? And we put our love and our work into them, and then they're on the page. Um, I used to, I used to say this too. Oh, God, it used to be horrible. When we had, when we had short stories, you know, I was mainly working in short stories when I was in the workshops early on, particularly. Um, you know, everyone, someone would say, I love that line, right? I love that sentence. And that was the kiss of death. Because that means what happened was when they were reading, they left the world of the story mm -hmm. and they suddenly thought about a sentence. Right. And as good as that sentence was, I don't want them to leave the world. Hmm. Being in the world is more important than liking my sentence. And you just go like, it was like a dagger in your heart. Being like, I love that sentence too. They were thinking about the writing. You do not want anyone to be thinking about the writing. Mm -hmm. Rashma, for you, you don't want anyone to be thinking about the playwright. Right. You don't want anyone to be thinking about you at all. They, you don't want anyone to think that you're a genius. You don't want anyone to think that you're smart. You know, you don't. You don't. Yeah. And, and, and yes, and yet, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I mean, I mean, this is true for all arts because uh, strangely, I was watching this uh, cinematographer's uh, interview today and he said, I don't want one shot to stand out ever. So I want, because if that one shot stands out in a film, uh, the reader is, you know, the viewer is kind of thrown off. I want them to see it as a whole. So I think that's what is true for us, which means not just. Yeah. Yeah, and and it and it and and it's it is such a conflict too. And I, boy, did I see this a lot in the workshop because almost all of us go into this wanting to be recognized as a genius and wanting to be like seen and applauded and you know and and you know cast the laurels upon us and shower us with gold coins and uh, we we want that so badly and yet that's that's not the job. The job is to bring the audience into the world so that they forget their world completely. Yeah. Right. right. Um, but I, 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 do, I do like how this is playing out now. Um, okay. I, my only comment here is that I feel that Raj and Monica are still too, they're too similar. Yeah. So, I mean, one, one, one way to think about it too is you've cut a couple characters out. Yeah. But there's, there's never, there's, you are never uh, hurt by having your characters be complex. Because this is, I'll go back to, sorry to be so informed by I and thou, but when we have the conflict between characters, any characters, all of them, they have to be thous. They all have to be thous. We can't have any its. And when we have, if, if we have Raj and Monica, right, and they seem the same, then they're actually both become it's. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we, we, we just need to figure out how to make them have flesh and blood. And the way we make them have flesh and blood is we make them want their own thing. Give them a different one. Right now I have no way. Right. What do they want? What do they want? We go, we go to these very simple things. And mm -hmm. so, and we can't have them want the same thing. And right now, Raj and Monica seem to want the same thing <clears throat> and have the same way to go about getting it. Mm -hmm. Figure out what they want first. 
Arad's um, want is pretty clear. I mean, because he he's the main uh, guy, the opposing force, and his sister is an ally. So, do you think that even allies should be of the antagonist should also be individualized, or yeah. are we giving too much spotlight? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because why why is he an why is she an ally? An ally. Okay. What what does what does she want in being an ally? So okay. that means that and 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 we have to know it. But but speaking of Raj, <clears throat> you say that it's obvious what he wants, but in a sense, what I see him wanting is not to have to say what he wants. I mean, this is his dependence on the algorithm, right? His dependence on the algorithm means he doesn't have to express what he actually wants. He doesn't have to. So this is getting a little philosophical about characters, but when a character <clears throat> For us, when a character expresses what they want, they become a real actualized human being. They're engaged in the struggle. And so this is why we need to know what they want, because if they don't, if, if, if we don't have them engaged in the struggle, then they're actually just a passive victim of the struggle. Raj, right now, so even wanting not to express what he wants, Right, that is wanting something, not to be too weird about it. Does that make sense? Yep. Like, he doesn't want to say, he doesn't want to, I mean, he, maybe, maybe also what he wants is to not have a connection with someone because he's certainly engaged in a process now that's going to, in a sense, forbid his actually having a connection with whoever it is that he marries. Mm -hmm. um, there, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things, but I would, but I just wouldn't. Don't don't make any assumptions. We got to dig as deep as we can to try and figure out what they want. Um, Raj's sister, right? What might she want? And if I look at what's happening, let's say this whole algorithm thing means that Raj will never be able to have, you know, in a sense, he's not developing a real relationship with another human being. He's mm -hmm. not doing that. He's He's, he's developing a math equation. Well, what would Raj's sister's motivation be for supporting that? That she doesn't want to lose the closer relationship that she has with him with to him. someone else. Right. She doesn't want to be supplanted. Right. right? So, yeah, but that did so, seem like a motivation to me. I mean, that did seem like emerging as a, I'm already in the next scene that but then I don't know. Then it starts sounding incestuous, and then you pull back, uh, you know, as a writer. Yeah. I don't know. yeah, right. But but we but we as writers, <laughs> I know it can be very difficult. Yes, okay, it might sound a little incestuous, but you know what? We're just we're actually just human animals, and the human animal, um, you know, we basically going back to Oedipus. I often think about Oedipus because. Poor Oedipus, not, you know, yes, he has sex with his mom and kills his father. So, I mean, come on, we all do things, right? But that, that was a joke. That was a joke. That was a <laughs> Freudian joke. Um, but, but the thing, you know, he does things, he's not even responsible for them, but at the end, you know what happens to him? I mean, of course you do, right? He blinds himself, right? But it's ironic because now that he sees, he blinds himself to try to not see. You can't go backwards. But he gets banished from Thebes. You know what it means when you get banished from the community? You die. Right. Now, <clears throat> that, that, 
that's something I saw so so long ago and it's informed me ever since. But but so when we think about uh, like if you just think about Raj and um, Monica, you know, forget that they're brother and sister. It's, a, it's the same a family too. But if you somehow become banished and look what she becomes banished to, she also becomes banished. Now we're really digging into her character, right? But but like Raj in in this society in this culture. He's using a math equation to find a, a, a mate, right? She has a relationship with Raj now. When he does that, she's banished, right, from that community and from that family community. And where does she get thrown? She gets thrown into the algorithm, right? So she's got something to lose. We're, we're emotional. We're not legalistic. You know, finally, I mean, it's uh, it's it's this it's this human animal quality that it, it transcends everything. I mean, particularly you know, with, with our desire to have a community that keeps us safe. That's that's instinctual. That's like um, it's like any animal on Earth, actually. Okay. So. Yeah, so if you have them come out a little bit, that's so much more interesting uh, for us. And that's the kind of complication that we actually will enjoy. Because we'll see these real characters out there. And that means that we have a real dynamic occurring. Right. But yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying. Like we, you know, as writers, what what you're saying is like, you know, you, you feel it's this way. You start thinking about it, right? You're, you know, you're writing and you're exploring characters and then you're like, well, you put those words on it, these ideas. You're like, that's a little incestuous. And then you, and like you said, I thought that and then I, I pulled back from it, right? Right. We're really getting into the, the best stuff that we should be talking about. I mean, I, it's funny. I was just thinking about this too, about writers we have to be completely fearless about what we're willing to look at. Completely fearless. Mm -hmm. Because, because if we're not, then we're also saying, "Oh, wait, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this." In. Remember, if we're saying, my my contention is that the writer should be a faithful witness. So we have to be a witness. We don't, we don't want to. Um, get in the way of that witness. Okay. And, and and that way we start to see things that are true. And I think that there is plenty that's true there between um, Raj and Monica that's significant, including and, and including Raj's, you know, desire. Of course, we don't want to lose the bonds that we have in order to take on these other bonds, particularly when they're meaningless. And now we're getting very now we're getting into a, quite a deep level, right? When, right. when the bond that we're adopting, right, is based on an algorithm, why, how difficult is that transition to make a transition to those kinds of bonds from the bonds of love that you have with family, hmm. right? So we're going, right. anyway. I, I understand, yeah. All, Another layering to it, yes. Yeah, and, and, and this is where we really start. I think this is, I think it's really exciting. The route to getting to these places is always to get 
Put something concrete on the page. Don't worry about ideas. Don't try and make ideas happen on the page. Try and put concrete things. And in the case of a playwright, and for all of us as you know, story writers, we're dramatists too, basically using characters, get the characters on the page. And then, and we see how that all started with saying, what do they want? Right. What do they want? It's amazing. Okay, I'll, I'll look at that. <laughs> right, right, you're like, you're like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, you know, this conversation to me, this is, this is exactly what we want to be talking about. And now you start getting something so much more human, you know, something that, that might have seemed like a commentary about, you know, arranged marriage mm -hmm. becomes, becomes not, for us as writers, this is not the thing I don't think we want to actually be commentating on. I, we're taking that, but what we're really trying to talk about is humanity. And, you know, this, I'll go back to human beings are miracles. I mean, this is, it's mir miraculous the way they all of these characters behave and again we start to see that once we just get them on the page and uh, and they sparkle right and i have just one more question and that's again a very general question which is uh you know with so many platforms these days and stories coming out in podcasts and ott and on your phone what is the story that we really have to tell as you know, in on stage, because you're already seeing so many of them on your phone, and you're seeing hundred million dollar store uh, uh, films made out. You know, going to the theaters to see those movies. So, what do you really? What is left with us to tell on stage? What are those stories? They have to be more compelling for people to put down their phone and come there. Uh, well, I um, there was a. There was a writer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I like this phrase of his. He was kind of. He won a Pulitzer Prize, and he. I, I, the the truth was, he couldn't avoid saying any sentence without the word Pulitzer in it. You know, he was just one of these guys. Uh, but he used to talk about uh, the white hot center, and, you know, he's like, you know, what's what's the white hot center of this story? You know, what's the, what's the thing that has to be told? And I think you're talking about that a little bit. It makes us, it, it puts us into a, a realm that I, that I think we have to discuss, the, the, the struggle and the difficulty of what we're choosing to do. Why do we choose to tell any given story? Um, and, and also, I think, that this is, I think that this is really true, is something I've realized over time, is that most people who get involved in writing don't realize what they have to do to themselves to even try to compete in this world of stories, let alone ascend to the top of it. They don't realize that they have to, you know, cut themselves, you know, and pull out their heart and, tr and show it to the audience. They don't know that. But I think that that's really truly the standard. Because the best writers will tear out their heart. And that's, that's where the competition is. And there isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't a place to... There, if, if we think 
if we think that we can do something less than that, I mean, that's like, that's like trying to win the lottery, you know. Um, I think we, we have to understand what the stakes really are, and I think you're absolutely right. There's stories everywhere. And, and, and not only that, not only are there stories everywhere, there are many people who know exactly how to write a story, you know, down to the beats per minute. You know, I mean, right. modern, modern Hollywood, mm -hmm. they, they, have it down, they have it down to the beats. Right. <clears throat> and so we're competing, we're actually, as individual storytellers, we're competing with corporations. But we have to think about it like this. There's so many things out there. We're actually asking for someone's time. Do we, do we feel comfortable asking them for even 15 minutes of their life? I think time is all we have. It's the most valuable thing, obviously. People say time is money. No, no. Money is worthless in comparison to time. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you bring up a good thing, but, but I think we also, we also get to it um, intuitively. You are, you've spent time on this work, right? And then everyone, everyone. We have to break away, you know, we have to get through the layers ourselves to get down to that white hot center. What is it here that you finally want to really probe um, and, and put out there for everyone, basically to reveal to everyone? Right. It's, I, I have said this so before, I, I, had, I, I had an MFA at a graduate program that was a, you know, very well-known graduate program, and uh, a lot of good writers came out of there. And uh, and I often say I, I learned to write when I was there. At Stanford, I learned how to work. Mm -hmm. I learned I learned what the stakes were. I went. I was in a class with someone who has a Pulitzer Prize now. Not not the same person, White Hot Center guy. So Adam Johnson. I was in the class with him. Adam Johnson, you know, I was in his class and I thought, well, I'm just going to do this, that, and the other thing. I, you know, I, I'm going to coddle my darlings and I'm going to, you know, uh, try and be, a, you know, try and be as smart as I can and a genius. And Adam Johnson was writing things where he, he did not hold back from anything. There was nothing he didn't explore. And there was nothing that he would do. He, I never saw him write a dinner scene. You know how many dinner scenes I've written? Uh, if I could have, if I could have a dinner for every dinner scene I've ever written, I would never have to buy dinner again, basically. So, like, and what I mean is, he didn't, he didn't write, he didn't write anything that was boring. He didn't write anything. I mean, I, I could think of him as being maximal, but he was writing a kind of maximal thing where he was, where he was pushing his imaginations, his imagination at all times in order to do something that was going to be extraordinary and new. And I had to recognize that he's the person that I must be competing with. It doesn't mean that I have to compete with him in exactly the same way. He has his style, and, but I have to have my style. Where, where, what am I willing to do? Right. Well, also 
kind of think at times is that in our minds, we'd always have those smaller stories and we'd have those bigger ideas, you know, deeper ideas. Uh, so at times we, we just want to take the easy route and we go on the trip to write that smaller idea because it seems like it's going to sell only to realize that, uh, you know, there's so many other smaller ideas there on people's mobile phones that they're watching day in and day out. Uh, right. And yeah, so how do I know that this, this idea is the bigger one and this is, you know, save myself so, time. Rashman, you're getting to the, the biggest questions, right? So that, that, it comes back to this other thing. I think, and you can think about it however you want, and people make their decisions, but we have to look at ourselves, right? We, we cannot do the work for, the, for out there. Because finally, at the end of the day, what happens or doesn't happen out there does not matter to us. Okay. We, going back to the idea that there's nothing more precious than time, when we're giving our time to this, we have to do the most out of it for ourselves. That said, I've been thinking about jazz music just because I've been reading some work that has jazz music in it, and you know how the style is. And I actually have something kind of interesting because I, I was reading something, uh, I, think, I think I was reading Aditi's work, and I put on some Indian classical music, which was, kind of blew my mind. But anyway, in jazz music, right, there's a simple melody. That's like the story of protagonism and antagonism. But the, the jazz musician takes that melody and they stretch it as far as they can. There is a place to stretch it too far, right? There is a place where outside of this realm is madness or what? I don't know. I mean, it's chaos, right? Chaos and boredom are actually the same thing. So there's a place to go that's beyond that, beyond the human intention. When I was listening to the Indian classical, I, was, I, I think I understood this well. The singer was modulating his voice, right? And I, I, I play a little violin with my daughters learning violin, but he was modulating his voice so quickly. Um, and, but he was striking notes every single time. I couldn't believe how difficult that would be. I mean, he was—he ne never hit a wrong note. I mean, is that amazing? Right. Um, but but he could push himself a little bit farther where he was. So there's a limitation. I don't know. I I, I guess I'm sharing that story to say that we're in the same situation with our stories. We have to go as far out as we can without destroying ourselves. Right. Uh, I had a question here, uh, actually, also. Uh, you mentioned that uh, writers can't uh, be uh, 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 more self-obsessed and think people them to be clever or something. But again, how to strike that balance of putting a heart out there in the story and also not be self-obsessed? How to, how to keep that balance? Does journaling help to put our thoughts for, for talking of myself? I speak better than I write. And many people say that you you speak better. I I feel it at least. So uh, does journaling my thoughts uh, help me to write better? So I was thinking I'm I'm a bit self obsessed too. So I does come into my writing. I feel sometimes. 
so how do i keep that balance of keep putting my heart in the story and not be self obsessed as well and not ask for adulation well it's it's this it's this thing that they really go you have to develop your art and your craft and um and be brave at the same time so we really have to do we have to do both we we are trying to create some form to this expression of ourselves right. that's going to be finally understandable i you know like i i sometimes joke to like you know i i wrote i was a while ago in 2002 or something like that i wrote a 600 page novel that i didn't think worked and i joked that but but some good came of it i i certainly improved my typing that's a joke but i actually got so much more from that i mean i had that lengthy experience of writing sentences writing paragraphs trying to delve into character trying to visualize the scenes it's practice it's like um the tipping point malcolm gladwell talks about the outliers and the 10,000 hours of experience for someone to become an expert right. Right. we as writers but we as writers of course are not not even doing I mean, we're finally, you go back to what Rashman is saying, I mean, there's stories everywhere. We're dealing not only with experts, with other people, we're not even just competing with other people who have 10,000 hours of experience. We're competing with corporations. We're, ta we're competing with algorithms. We're, talking, we're, we're competing with people who have, you know, uh, figured out the beats, and we're competing with Shakespeare, right? And we're competing with the Mahabharata. You know, we're competing with all of these things. I mean, if I can't write something that's more relevant than, than Hamlet, why wouldn't I just say, you know what, honestly, you have very little time on this planet. I suggest you read Hamlet instead of reading my work. I mean, I should do that if I'm compassionate towards others. So it's just, it's just hand in hand. Um, Sorella, this is, you're getting into the, the place that I actually really believe. You know, going back again, yes, there's the work. But what we're doing as writers is we're thinking about our lives. How do we want to live our lives? And we choose, we choose to be a writer. We choose to live our lives in this way, and it's not an easy way. Right. And we get our joy from that. This is, our, this is our craft through which we get to experience life. We could have been a great wheelwright, but we chose this. I, I don't think there's a difference between the wheelwright and this. We just happen to gravitate in this direction. So, mm -hmm. so now let's really throw ourselves into it and do it as, as massively as we can. Sure. You know, for ourselves. So there, there's no quick fix. Uh, you're already, Sorella, you're, you're already doing it. You're doing it. You're, I mean. I hope so. I, I really believe this. You gave me a piece. You gave me a piece to read, and you know, and, and I said, you know, this needs to have an organization. And you said, oh yeah, I was confused writing it. You're doing the work already. I mean, this what you what you describe there is exactly what I do every day. I'm I'm confused. I mean, I've been confused all my life, and I'm trying to get some order to it so that I can get that order for myself. And 
you know, in the ways that are most important to me, and then also give that to the world. So, thank you so much. Uh, the, I think the key is always to really look. I'm not to. You know, I love to loop it around, but go go back to Martin Buber who says, "I and thou." Okay, so we're the I. We're the writer. Now look out at everyone else and see a thou. And when you can, and if you can do that, you're going to be doing your best work. Try to see the thou in everything else. Yeah. And then you also see in reflection that in yourself. And to get too, too philosophical about it. Out enough, we got through everything. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <clears throat> you know, what I will do is uh, I'll send out a reminder to the, uh, you know, to people on the Indic Book Club mailing list uh, in the next couple of days. So they have firstly enough notice about the session. And secondly, they have enough time to prepare, edit, revise, and send in a writing piece, uh, uh, you know, to you. Uh, because I know a couple, uh, the last session or the one before that, I did that, and it did, uh, I think, result in both more people as well as more submissions. Uh, but thank mm -hmm. you all for dialing in, and thank you, Otis, for conducting this. Again, you know, we'll be putting this up on the Indic YouTube site. Abhinav, can I just, can I make a little request? Um, it would be great if you could just tack on, if they could get it to me um, before the morning on Friday, that would be a little bit better for me. It's, um, it can, I, do, I like to have a couple days off and right now all I have is Saturday. So if I don't have to read on Saturday, I would prefer not to. So it may just get no, to me No, fair enough. Later. I think, I think very, very reasonable point. I would include that in the newsletter that I send out uh, among, you know, where I uh, put this as a, uh, is one of the things so I should get it out uh, in on the next day or two so that people also have enough time to send it to you you know over Wednesday Thursday or or you know for the one sending it on Friday if they uh, yeah so sure mm -hmm. yeah great thank you okay so well, thank, thank you everyone thank you thank you so much thank you, thank you so much thank you. Thank you.